Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I can't. I can't. Um, If you're an advocate of positive thinking, you're going to tell people those are two words you ought not use, right? I can't. Well, we've got to think positively about this, all right? Now, positive thinking does seem to help a lot of people, right? It's probably better to be positive than to be negative. And positive thinking allows people to have a different attitude, and so they're more likely to be able to do things and change things. But it's limited. And what the Bible presents to us is what I would call truth thinking. Truth thinking. And truth thinking is positive thinking. But it, it, truth thinking does bring you to those places sometimes where you say, well, the truth is, I can't. And we need the truth, don't we? If, if you aren't dealing with truth, you're in your own make-believe world. And so this idea of I can't is, is really important. Now, understand that we can say I can't when we actually could, right? We can say I can't to excuse ourselves or because I don't feel like it or whatever. We can do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine realization that this, I can't do this. And it's important that we come to those places in our lives because it's when we realize that we can't, we're in a position to learn that God can. And if we don't ever come to that I can't realization, we don't start to understand what God can do. And so there are things in our lives we need to realize we can't do. And the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today Jesus talks about that. He brings this up in it. Now, this passage we're going to look at is really a continuation of last week's passage, okay? It's, it's, it's one long story here. And you remember last week we had uh, the young man, very rich young man who comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. And Jesus tries to get him to see, okay, yes, we're talking about God and, and to you know, relate to me as God. He doesn't get that. He doesn't respond to that. Uh, then Jesus points him to the commandments, knowing that there's no way anybody lives up to the commandments and hoping that he will see his need of a relationship with Jesus, but he doesn't get that. And he asks for more information. The Lord, Lord knows where this young man's at. And he says to him, okay, here's the deal. You're having a hard time choosing me. It's because of all your possessions, your wealth and your possessions. I know this is your wealth and possessions. And I'm adding words here, okay? But I think that's what's going on. Your wealth and possessions is more important to you than a relationship with me. So if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to sell that stuff and give it away so it's no longer keeping you from a relationship with me because it's a relationship with me that you need. Okay? And so we saw that in that story, and that's what we, we talked about last week, and I'm going to bring it a couple more times this week, and that's that your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life. Do you believe that? I think we know it. 
If, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian very long and you're thinking you know that's true, but do you really believe it? Because belief is that step of what? Trust, of going with it. So Jesus, your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life, and that's without exception. It's always, it's everywhere, it's no matter what. That is the most important thing in your life. And so we saw last week that Jesus is the issue. He is the issue that we have to settle. He's God, and you need a proper relationship with him. You can't escape the consequences of your sin, which is an eternity in hell, apart from a relationship with Jesus. And then secondly, you can only receive eternal life by receiving Jesus as Savior. That's the only way. You need a relationship with Jesus. And then anything that comes between you and your relationship with Jesus, read the last three words with me needs to go that's right if there's something that's keeping you from receiving christ as savior in your life it needs to go get it out of the way so you can deal with the issue of your relationship with christ and if you are already a believer same thing when you find things in your life that are coming between you and that relationship it needs to go it needs to be adjusted it needs to be changed so let's take our bibles this morning continue this story Matthew chapter 19, we're still on the same page of the Bible that's in the chairs there. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 23. Remember the man had chosen not to follow Jesus. He'd walked away sorrowful because he had a lot of wealth and possessions and he wasn't ready to let go. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your word and that you would your spirit would speak to each of us, Lord, to help us to understand, and then also that he would show us what it means right now in our lives. We need to hear from you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, so let's just go back and work our way through the passage and talk about what's here. Uh, in verse 23, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here's, here's a truth that we find in this passage of scripture, and I think hinted at in other places in the scripture, and this is that, that wealth, wealth can 
easily get in the way of a relationship with God. Wealth can get in the, in the way of a relationship with God. Now that's not something I'm, you know, we really want to talk about, right? Because maybe we don't feel like looking at that in our lives. But it is a true statement. Uh, because, and by the way, you think, oh good, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not wealthy, right? If I ask you how many are wealthy, you know, we'd probably have limited hands. But in reality, we are quite wealthy. In the history of the world, and even now, compared to the rest of the world, even our poorest people are fairly wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And so most of us here today, we are wealthy. And here's how this works, and why it's a problem. By the way, when I talk in a minute, wealth itself is not the problem. That's how we're interacting with it and what we think about it. Uh, but wealth prevents you or can get in the way of you having an awareness of your neediness, right? If you have a check that's coming in regularly and you can go buy your groceries and put gas in your car and pay your bills, all's well. You aren't feeling, and you aren't feeling driven to go to God and say, oh, God, give me this day, my daily needs, right? It's, it's so wealth enables us not to... So we still ought to do that. We ought to realize that really every day is still a gift from God, right? And then every resource that comes our way, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he has entrusted to us to use for his good purposes. And we ought to realize that we are absolutely dependent on God all the time. But when we have wealth, when, and, and when, we have, in other words, when we have enough money where we don't feel driven to depend on God. Now, like I said, as we grow spiritually, we can get beyond that. But wealth enables us not to feel needy. Okay? And, and those who are really wealthy, let me, let me tell you, that, I mean, finish this, this uh, saying for me. Money cannot buy happiness, you know? But I don't know if that's really true. Money can buy happiness for a while. It can't buy the joy that God gives, Right? But it can buy happiness, and this is how this works. Because here's, you know, someone who has wealth, and, and, and like I said, I'm just including all of us in this, okay, at some level, that we all have a certain amount of wealth here, and it can work against us. But if you have enough wealth, when you start to feel like, yeah, something's missing in my life, oh, let's go on this vacation, right? And that allows you to what? Not feel that neediness again for a while, right? Uh, oh, well, let's have a, let me have a big party. You know, I'm feeling alone. I have a big party. I can get all these people there, you know, and have friends. And okay, that works for a while. And, but so the more money you have, the longer you can sustain this misguided thought that I can be happy, right? I can have my deepest needs met. And of course, ultimately, you can't. And, and what it really comes down to is, is wealth can become like a drug to us, like alcohol to us. The idea is when I'm not feeling, the person who struggles with alcohol or, or drugs, when, when they feel overwhelmed, when they feel lonely, when they feel depressed, when they feel scared, what do they turn to? This addiction that they have, right? To, to quiet that so I don't have to feel that all the time. Well, if you have enough money, you can do the same, can't you? You aren't on drugs or alcohol, but you can still sort of do something to cover up this weight and this pain in your life. And so wealth can 
be an obstacle. Be an obstacle to somebody getting saved because they don't feel a need. They feel like they got their whole life together. Um, and so it can sidetrack us from the things that we really, really need to pay attention to. Now, wealth can also be a great blessing when we, when we get it in the right place, when we see it from God's perspective, right? Um, you know, when I talked about it earlier, I said sometimes you have to reach the place where you say, I can't. And so the idea what we want to come to the place with our, our money is we realize what it can't do, right? I can't get my money to buy my forgiveness before God. I can't get my money to really provide that deep satisfaction that only God can give. We need to come to that. I can't. So wealth can be a sidetrack. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to say to you, right? It can sidetrack you from this relationship with Jesus that you most need. Uh, the, so let's look at some scriptures here about wealth in its proper perspective. And there's a lot more we could look at. But in Proverbs chapter 30, the apostle, no, the apostle Paul, he didn't write Proverbs. <laughs> chapter 30 of Proverbs. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so he's really talking about here, Lord, give me what I need. Give me what I need to do the things that you want me to do. And by the way, if you need millions of dollars to do what God has called you to do, guess what? He'll provide it. If you don't need it, he probably won't. I mean, it's... it's just the way it works. So this idea of, you know, don't be, oh, I got to be rich or, oh, you know, if I'm poor, all that kind of stuff. And Paul talks about this. And he said, I've learned that in whatever situation I am, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I've learned to be, what's the word? Content. And that's what this verse is trying to communicate, all right? First Timothy chapter six, and the apostle Paul did say this, Holy Spirit led him to write these words. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, if you, have, uh, if you are uh, growing in your relationship with God, you're becoming more godly, God-like in your character. As, as you do that, uh, and if you're content with what he's provided you, he says, now you're getting ahead. I mean, who wants to get ahead in life? Anybody? I want to get ahead in life. Even at this point in my life, I still would like to get ahead more financially, right? I, I would like to do that. But if I really want to get ahead, what i got to start with is this. Becoming the right attitude, godliness, right? Contentment. Now I'm getting ahead. Because now whatever God entrusts me to is in its rightful place. It isn't usurping him in my life. He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Go on to the next one. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And let's just talk, stop and talk about this for a little bit. There's different words used in the Greek language to translate desire. Uh, one of them is, is the one that uh, is, it talks about feelings and affections and desires. And this, that's a word that's used for good and bad. So use for good desires and for sinful desires. And the sinful desires transfer, translate lust, okay? But it's that same kind of word. This is not that word. This is the Greek word that means you have settled something with a deep resolve. I am going 
to be rich. I have to be rich. Okay, do you see what we're saying now? And if that's what you have to have, it has to be that. And it's God's not, you're not dealing with this, you know, godliness and contentment. I have to be rich. And some people have to be rich because they don't feel secure if they aren't. Other people have to be rich because they don't feel like they're important if they're not. Whatever the reason is, he says, if you've got to be rich, you're going to fall into temptation and a snare. It's a trap. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It causes all sorts of problems in our lives. So, see, so we've got to make sure that, that we're in a right place. God, we've surrendered to the Lord ourselves. We, you know, we recognize that everything we have has been entrusted to us and that we're content with what God is doing, whether we just barely have enough to get by or we have an abundance to, to use for his purposes. We've got to get that in the right place, okay? And this is what Proverbs chapter 10 tells us. It says, the blessings of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Go ahead and put that up there, Eduardo, please. The blessings of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow. If the, in other words, when your money is in a rightful place before your wealth, your possessions in a rightful place before God, and he enriches you, it doesn't bring the sorrow that this love of money brings. Okay? So it's a whole different ball game. But we have to, what I want you to see here is this idea when we're talking about, you know, you know, coming to realizations that I can't, we also need to realize, you know, I can't solve the biggest problems of my life with money. I can't solve the deepest issues of my heart with money. I can't solve my relationship with God with money. I can't, any of those kinds of things, right? Because it could get in our way. So that's one of the things we want to learn to say, I can't. All right, let's go and continue here, the next verse. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Now, some people try to explain away what this means, but it really means exactly what it sounds like, okay? Um, some people want to say, oh, it's a small gate that the camels had to try to get on their knees to get through, but no, the word that this sewing needle is translated from means sewing needle. Really complicated, right? It means sewing needle. Can you get a camel through a sewing needle? Anybody want to try? No, we can't. What's he saying? It's what? Impossible. And I just told you guys that we're all rich. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's impossible for us because it, it has to put that camel through the eye of a needle. Um, and, and so it's really not possible for us. So let's continue reading. Well, before I, yeah, let me see here. Yeah, no, I'll just stay here and talk about this for a minute. All right. Now, the reason this is, you're going to see a response here from the disciples in just a minute is this. That in this culture at this time, in the Jewish culture, in Christ's time, there was this view, which is not that really time-trapped view either, but that if you were wealthy, it was because God had blessed you. 
because you were good. All right? You see what I'm saying? In other words, that you obviously have done something right. God is pleased with you, and he has made you wealthy. Okay. So, when Jesus says, man, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. In fact, in this verse, it's impossible. Okay? What happens here? Let's read. Verse 25, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? You're telling me that this rich person, these rich people who God is so blessed, right? It's obvious they're in a right relationship with him. And you're telling me they can't be saved? They can't make it to heaven? If they can't make it, what hope is there for me? Who, who can possibly be saved if that's the case, all right? And we see that their thinking was off. Their thinking wasn't all right there. They, they had some misconceptions about that. Well, let's continue reading. So they said, who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now let's just focus in on a couple of things here related to what's being said. So verse 25, again, the disciples heard it. They were greatly astonished, saying, what's the next word? You guys still awake out there? What's the next word? Who? That's right. We're no longer talking just about rich people. We're talking about who? Everybody. Everybody. And Jesus answered and said, you know what? It is impossible for men. Humans, for human beings, it's what? Impossible. You cannot make it to heaven on your own. It is impossible. And then thankfully we have the last half of the verse. What's it say? But with God, all things are possible. And so... I think a truth that we need to understand from this past scripture is that it is impossible to get saved without God working in your life. It's impossible to get saved without God working in your life. Think about this. God has revealed himself in creation, right? You can look around the world and conclude there has to be a God and he must be big and powerful. You can conclude that. And he has revealed himself in his word that tells us more about him and points us to Jesus and tells us about Jesus. He has revealed himself in his son to us. He has revealed himself to us in the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. He has revealed himself to us in the body of Christ as we can see Christ in people. He's, he's, and then he works in our lives to where we hear the gospel. I mean, all these kinds of things, right? If God had done none of that, could you get saved? With men, this is what? Impossible. No, God had to work in your life. And he did. And if you're here today, or you're watching today, and you have not received Christ as Savior, I want you to know God has worked in your life to bring you to that place. To say, I've sinned against the holy God. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And by faith, I'm going to just trust Jesus to, to be my Savior. I turn away from all this other stuff that I've ever tried to do to fix my problems. And I turn to Jesus and I trust him. I receive him as Savior. And, and it's impossible for you. But it's not impossible for God, is it? Aren't we all living miracles then today? 
All of us who know Jesus, we receive Christ. That means it was impossible for us, but he did what was impossible for us. And by the way, that very first lesson when we learn that we get saved, he's done what is impossible for us. You know, that sets the stage for the rest of our lives of learning what we can and can't do and what we need to depend on him for. And so it brings us back to this idea. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life. It is. It's always everywhere, no matter what. Now, that brings us then, you know, Peter's is, uh, been watching all this and listening. And um, he's seen the rich young man who turns away and doesn't follow Jesus. He's heard this idea that, you know, it, we have to depend on God to be saved and all that. But now Peter's putting the pieces together. And let's see here in the verse again. Let's look in verse 27. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. All what you're telling us, you know, we have done. We've chosen a relationship with you over everything else. Therefore, what shall we have? Go ahead and go to that next slide, if you would, Eduardo. Therefore, what shall we have? What's, and it can sound kind of like a, well, what's in it for us, right? What are we going to get? What do we deserve? But I don't think it's like that. I think Peter's honestly saying, okay, so we're here and let's put all those pieces together. And we have left all. We left our families. We left our houses. We left our business. We, so what's this going to be? And actually, this words that are translated, what shall we have? When you just translate it very literally, it said, what will it be for us? What's it going to be like? What's, what do we expect? And then what's Jesus saying? Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, that's when he makes all things new. You know, this is life is all done. When the Son of Man, referring to himself, sits on the throne of his glory, you, have follow, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's spoken to those 12 disciples. But he doesn't leave us out. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands, etc., for my name's sake, because you're following me, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And so Jesus tells his disciples something, something we need to hear, and that's this, that every sacrifice you make to follow Jesus will be rewarded many times over, both in heaven and in this life. So he's saying it's, it will be worth it. Now, we, I get the idea of in heaven. And by the way, the reason I, I, I include in this life, because you don't see in this passage, but in Mark chapter 10 and verse 30, he, he says, he, these words are in there, receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come. Okay? So this is what Jesus is saying. Now in this life and the life to come. Many times over will I reward you for your faithfulness and the decisions you made to follow me. And so I think about heaven, and I, I'm not sure what the rewards are. You know, it talks about crowns, this kind of stuff. But I would tell you this is I think that God knows how to give us rewards that will just be awesome. Right? He knows. Uh, when I go to buy presents for people, I'm kind of like, uh, 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 you know, I don't know what to get. My brother, he is good at this. Somehow or other, he knows what to get people. Uh, God's better than my brother, right? 
Uh, see, whatever it is he rewards in heaven, it will, we'll say, yes, that was worth it. Now, how does he do it in this life, though? Is Jesus telling us here that for every dollar you give, he's going to give you back a hundred? Is he telling you for every maybe possession you decide, I can't keep this and follow the Lord for whatever reason, even just financial, and you give it up, and so, you know, he's, is he going to give you a hundred back in this life? Um, family? How about wives? If, if, you're, you know, if your wife leaves you because she doesn't want to follow Jesus like you do, is God going to give you a hundred wives in this life? You hope not, right? Um, no. We have, Jesus gives us a pretty strong hint about what this is about earlier in one of the Gospels. So in Mark chapter 3, this is a story. Jesus is, is in a house. He's teaching. The house is full. Nobody can get in. His family shows up. So they, they come and tell him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. And he wasn't disowning his family. And he would talk to them, but he's saying something. He's using this to teach something. And that's that, and I'll, I'll just put it first person for me. You are my family. I have a family that's beyond here. I have blood relatives. But you are my family. And, and here's what I think. I think that if I, my mom's passed away. But I think if I just feel a need to hear from an older woman, counsel, that, this sounds terrible, that means some of you are older women. But <laughs> the point is, is you would be that for me. There may be multiple people who do that. If I need a, a brother to talk to, they're ready. If, if I came to you and said, I, I'm in a real bind, I, I need a car to, to go do this, you know, the Lord has me doing it, and, I, and, and you have a car that's available, what are you going to do? Here, take my car. And so in each other, in the church, and it isn't just in this church, because if I found myself for some reason having to move across country and I go to another church, those people there are that for me. And, and I for them, right? It's not one way. It's not all the good. I don't have to do anything. The church is going to take care of me. We're not talking about that. But the idea is when we follow the Lord together, we have this relationship in each other that really, really, really matters. And so every sacrifice you make to follow Jesus will be rewarded many times over, both in heaven and in this life. Um, and then finally, let's look at the last word there in verse 29. You know, you shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, do not think that he's saying, oh, if you will sacrifice for me, then you'll receive eternal life. If you get an inheritance, did you earn it? You don't earn inheritances. I mean, we're humans and who knows how people think, but inheritance is not earned. Inheritance is given based on some relationship that's there. And what we're seeing is here, when you choose this relationship with Jesus, you receive him as Savior, and then you, you walk with him, you have an inheritance that God the Father is going to give you because you have a relationship with him. And it's like this. Yes, all these blessings, all these blessings, but you know what? On top of all that, you got eternal life. Right? 
in and around and over, all that kind of stuff. All right, so let's read the last verse, verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus says this a number of times in the Gospels, and you know, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> well, I think it's the idea is, is that it's what, it's what the disciples were experiencing, because in their mind, who was dead? If you're going to think who's in heaven, who's for sure going to be in heaven? From the disciples' perspective, before Jesus taught them. The rich people, that's right, right? Because they're obviously blessed by God and, all this, and they're going to be there. And Jesus is you know, saying, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. Here's how it works. And those who you think are going to be first may not be. And those who you think are last may not be. It's about whose perspective we're seeing things from. And in life, it's easy to see things, we can't help it, we see it from our perspective and we see it in the culture in which we live and, and how we've grown up and what we think. And there's lots of things in our minds and, and that we probably don't think right about. And those, when I say we don't think right about it, I mean, we don't think the same way God thinks about it. We don't have the same values, you know, we're working on it. But so God sees things differently than I do. And I think he's telling us, hey, you can expect that things aren't always going to be what you think they are. You're going to follow me. And so here we go. Expect following Jesus to turn your world upside down. Expect the unexpected. Be ready to change your mind. Disciples were being confronted. They're listening and watching all this and taking it all in and say, whoa, wait a minute. If that's true, then this. And wait, if that's true, then this. First goes last, last. Goes, oh, they can't figure it all out. But I'm saying that's going to happen to you and me as we try to follow Christ. We're going to come down to places where we all of a sudden one day go, hey, wait a minute. If this is true, that means all of these things I'm thinking and all these things I'm doing aren't right. They need to change. Maybe they just need to be adjusted, but I've got to change this. And certainly when it comes to heaven, I bet we'll be surprised. There'll be things to be surprised about. Let me ask you, how many, and I don't know how many, probably not a lot, but how many of you remember Irene Cataret? Seriously. Okay, quite a few. For those who are newer to our church, Irene was a, a, an older woman. She had some mental health issues, uh, just delayed, you know, slow in some ways. And, uh, but she was faithful to church. She was, how old was she? She's in her 70s for a lot of this, so I'm thinking about. She had a, a walker, and it had... No, it didn't have to. She had a walker. And she goes everywhere, ride a bus, walk around downtown, and always carrying three or four big bags with her. Uh, she was our bag lady. And uh, she loved God, though, and she'd tell people about Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And she wore out walkers. And they finally, you know, get, put tennis balls on it or something, I remember. But uh, she, she had this partial plate or something, teeth, and, and she would take them out and forget. She'd leave them on the bus. Uh, or they made it in the trash here a few times. I mean, and here's the thing that I really stands out to me. Of course, I was the music director. I was the song leader. And back then we did a little different, you know, stand up and lead. And Irene, wherever we were singing from, was always right in the front. And she was always half a beat behind and half a pitch off. I'm trying to sing, lead to singing. It's hard. It was hard. Okay, 
And she loved music, and she sang. But I mean, it got like this, that one day, I remember we were, sitting, we were here on Wednesday night, and we still had hymnals, and we were reading, singing all the hymnals. And I looked over at Irene singing, and her hymnal was upside down. <laughs> Didn't matter. And she's singing. She knows the songs. And, and one of the great blessings that I experienced and my family experienced with me was that Irene's very last days, just a few days, she was pretty much out of it. She wasn't responsive to anybody. And then we went and visited. And I think you were there with us. Mandy was there with us. And we said, well, let's sing. Let's sing. For, you know. And I think we were singing it as well with my soul or Amazing Grace. I don't remember. But I kid you not, all of a sudden we just started singing. Irene sat up, opened her eyes, and sang with us. She still sang like Irene. <laughs> but she sang with us. And then she lay back down. And I don't think she ever woke up again. She went to heaven. Not too long after that. But so let me tell you this. So see, I'm thinking we get to heaven and no offense to Mel. Mel does such a great job of leading us, right, in worship. She does. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if we get there that Mel, I was a song a music leader, Mel, that we're back here in the group and Irene's in front. And Abel. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Things that we don't expect. Things that don't seem natural to us. The first was last, last, first. So be, be ready to be surprised in this life and in the one to come. And so remember this finally again. Your relationship, just read this with me, okay? Your relationship, read out loud with me. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your whole life, always, everywhere, no matter what. And when you realize that the things you can't do, that's when you can discover what God can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. Lord, I pray that we would very consciously again just either surrender our lives, whole lives to you the first time or reaffirm a surrender we've already made that you would have preeminence in our lives. We would live with you as our Lord. And then knowing, Lord, that we will receive all the blessings that you've promised. And uh, we know that you can also do all the things that we can't. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's see if we have some questions. I know we have one because remember last week when I said, ah, 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 that's for next week's sermon? So I know we have that one, but. Oh, good, there's a good one. All right. So. It says, in verse 25, the Bible says the disciples were astonished at what Jesus had said concerning the rich young ruler and asked, who then can be saved? It appears the disciples still did not fully comprehend their need for what only Jesus could provide. I think that's true. We see that in the story, right? They were victims, if you want to call it, of this wrong worldview. They were, and they hadn't seen it yet. When I read all this stuff, and I start to realize, I think, what is there that I'm not getting yet? You know what I mean? What is there that I'm maybe messed up on? You know, Lord, show me. And so we always want to be in that position of humility and trying to grow. Mark 10, okay, here's a good question. Mark 10, 30 also mentions receiving a hundredfold persecutions. I, 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 let me look at the actual verse. If you want to look, it's Mark 10, 30. And let's see. 
Yes, okay. All right, so I'm going to be picky. I'm a teacher, right? I'm going to be picky. Let's look here. Jesus is making, let's start in verse 29 of chapter Mark 10. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, okay? What I would suggest is that uh, I don't see Jesus saying that we will receive a hundredfold persecutions, but with this following of him will come persecutions. And I think we can count on that. And, you know, largely in our lives, I don't know about you, I don't feel like we've experienced much persecution at this point. We, 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 we experience harassment, right? We experience pushback and all that kind of stuff. We haven't really been persecuted. There, that, there's probably some people in our country who have been, but for the most part, no. But I think the real point here is that if we're following Christ faithfully, there will be opposition. It may come from places you're really surprised to hear it comes from. And uh, it may be that you end up living your life in extreme poverty because you're following Christ and, and people are against you and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't matter if you're following Jesus, right? You have the church and, and, and his promises for heaven. So I hope that answers that, that question. Uh, and so that's it. Wow, we did the questions and it's still 1059. <laughs> Let's pray again. Father, thank you. I pray, Lord, we would follow you. We would not let things get in the way. And when we see that they are, that we'd remove them. And Father, the reality is that we cannot succeed at this. We can't apart from your working. With us, it's impossible. But with you, all things are possible. And so we look to you to work in our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. We'll have a great week living with the Lord.